Hey, I'm Maurice. As a barber, you might think my scissors are my main tool, but really, it's Metro. That's where I got my iPhone 7. Its camera makes sharing my cuts as simple as snip, snap, share. Right now, get an iPhone 7 with a camera that shoots 4K for just $49.99 when you switch to the number one brand in prepaid. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Requires port in eligible number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days and verification of ID and independent database. Limit four per account slash household. 32 gigabyte iPhone 7 model only. No tethering. See store for details and terms and conditions. It's time once again for another episode of Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. Broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel studios in Atlanta. And now here's your host, Emily Rowell. Good morning, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. I am your host, Emily Rowell, and I have Marlon Ryan here with the Ryan Law Firm. Good morning, Marlon. Good morning, Emily. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Um, he's with the Ryan Law, Law Firm, the founding partner, and he practices entertainment law. And tell me why. Well, I uh, got into entertainment law because uh, prior to going to law school, I was an enter, uh, I was a session drummer, and I toured uh, a lot of the country, playing with a lot of different bands. I've played with about a hundred different acts, and of course, you know, what comes with that is contractual disputes. So, understanding the importance of having an effective contract in place and protecting artist rights is kind of what got me into uh, entertainment originally. So, you know, I went through law school and studied copyright, and uh, kind of went from there. So tell me a little bit about how entertainment law and business law coincide a little bit more. Well, entertainment law and business law are actually quite similar. You fa you're dealing with a lot of the similar things, uh, specifically negotiating contracts. You know, you really want to understand what you're signing, and that that's that's very similar. Um, you need a lot of the same sort of structures that you need. Uh, with any small business, if whether you're putting together a film or whether you're going on the road, whether you need like a film release, I mean, all these are just contracts you need in place. Like if you're, you know, a small business, you also need you know, partnership agreements or you know, non-compete, you mm -hmm. know, uh, uh, documents, things like that. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Now, tell me, um, what does your firm do, um, especially with those issues um, throughout the country, um, as far as dealing with um, the entertainment law field? So, as you know, Atlanta is becoming a really, really great place uh, for for the entertainment world. Um, you know, it seems like every day, you know, we're driving down the street and we see, you know, a new uh, film production, you know, kind of on the side, mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> stopping traffic. <laughs> that, that's absolutely right, and. As Atlanta is getting bigger, you know, there's still a lot of major decisions being made in other cities. So I think it's important to have, you know, a network of people to draw on in all of those different places. Um, so, you know, whether that's New York, you know, whether that's Nashville, whether that's LA, what, you know, whether you're looking at music or film, you know, what my firm likes to do is uh, draw on, you know, a variety of contexts in a variety of different fields to really work towards getting any production uh, moving forward. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, um, Marlon. And that was Marlon Ryan on Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. Marlon, we're going to find out a little bit more about you. Uh, you are the founding member of the Mar uh, the Ryan Law Firm, sorry, where you devote your practice to assisting filmmakers, musicians, and other artists in pursuing their artistic endeavors. Take me back. What made you go to law school? How did it all begin? Well, so, you know, I come by music, honestly. My parents are musicians. Um, you know, I grew up in the music world. Uh, I went to Emory here in Atlanta and studied music. And, you know, I got out and uh, I worked at a law firm and I kind of did that while I also toured regionally. And, and I finally got an offer from a record label out of uh, New Jersey who put out some... Uh, 
early good albums with some pretty major artists. And uh, long story made short, you know, even with our music on MTV and a lot of big uh, big networks, uh, there were no contracts in place. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I I left the the job the law firm I was at to go out on tour with this road, um, go out on tour on the road with mm -hmm. the, this group. And uh, what ultimately happened was the tour ended up following falling through despite having a lot of things that you know looked like they were in place mm. and so uh, I came back to Atlanta, eventually ended up with a much better group of folks. But even that, uh, no contracts, no anything to really protect artists on the road. I mean, so, uh, you know, I decided to go to law school. Uh, I remember at the time, you know, there's this funny story where uh, uh, the, the one or one of the larger national tours I did, you know, we were at South by Southwest. And here I am, uh, you know, on the phone, I'm getting a call from this admissions officer. And there's this other gentleman uh, who's basically blowing fire across these shots that are lined up on the bar. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get into law school and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sitting here realizing these two worlds are colliding and I figure what, what could be more, you know, almost appropriate at, at right. that exact moment. Um, so anyway, I decided to, you know, uh, you know, go to law school and come out and uh, that's a great story. Yeah. I love that. It kind of just, you followed your passion for what you do and then found a niche to help people. And, and I can imagine that happens all the time with bands and, you know, they just want to go and rock and roll and have a good time. That's right. You know, they're not worried about contracts or anything like that, but you, even though you are a musician, you still thought about those things. So I think that's really awesome. Tell me, um, the music industry in Atlanta, what is it like? How has it changed? Where is it headed? Well, the music industry in Atlanta, is a, it's kind of an, an interesting crossroads. You know, there's obviously been a lot of building around the city. And so a lot of the artists have been kind of moved towards the suburbs. You know, I, I think it's been a real bastion. I mean, there's a lot of tremendous bands and tremendous artistry that's come out of, out of not just the city, but the state. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the Georgian music partners and groups like that are really doing a tremendous job to uh, protect the interests of artists moving forward. And there's even some legislature they've put forward to try to extend some of the tax credits credits, you know, that we now see with the film industry towards uh, a lot of the music industry. And that is certainly something that I've tried to become a part of uh, because of the good work they're doing, um, just to kind of give them a little shout out. <laughs> right. <laughs> How about the film industry? I mean, I've heard this is like the Southern Hollywood. It absolutely is. And people are coming here from all over the country. I mean, right now we're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, everybody from production assistants and grip keys and, uh, you know, Yahtzee members, uh, which is like, you know, the film uh, labor union. And uh, a lot of these people are relocating from around the country because this is where a lot of the boot on the ground sort of work is. Mm. Uh, a lot of the decision making, a lot of the, you know, like I've mentioned, contracts, you know, are being developed in other parts of the country. So we're starting to see, I think, uh, Atlanta is definitely on the up and up. Um, I, you know, there's still a couple major markets that we're kind of moving moving towards, but I think we're getting there a lot quicker than anybody anticipated. And I'd heard that there's a big tax break here and, for the industry. So can you tell me more about that? Yeah, absolutely. The tax break uh, for the industry basically allows you know a certain percentage of production costs to be recouped by you know, every production company, um, as long as a film makes a certain um, expenditure within the state. And because of the like large amount that tax credit refunds to each production group. Uh, that's why a lot of people are relocating here. That and the diversity of scenery. I mean, we've we've got a tremendous number of filming locations within the state. Mm -hmm. Not to mention the cost of living is pretty low here. So a lot of people that are used to paying California, New York prices come out here and can live like you know kings or queens for you know right. nominal amount of money. Right. Um, comparatively. So, so tell me what exactly does the entertainment attorney do? Well, that, that's how do you help your clients? Well, absolutely. You know, some people come to me, and you know, they've got they've got 
you know, a small business, they need, you know, maybe they need, uh, you know, like I said, a non-compete agreement put, put together. Maybe, uh, you know, I've got another client, you know, he's about to uh, go out on the road with, you know, a large artist and, uh, you know, he, he's in a scenario where he also has a business here and, you know, he wants to protect those interests. Um, as he goes out further, you know, and, uh, people present him with agreements. We can review those. We can help him negotiate those agreements um, and kind of inform him what's going on. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, one of the classic uh, sort of things I was told in law school is, you know, people ask you, you know, what does it mean to die without issue? And, you know, the average person thinks what anybody would really think, which is to die without any sort of problems. Well, you know, that means something very different in the legal context. It means die without children, right? So, uh, right. you know, those sort of little distinctions can have huge implications within, uh, you know, contractual arrangement. All right, just want to remind our listeners, you're listening to Atlanta Legal Experts uh, Radio. Rich Kasson over here, uh, producer, engineer, co-host. And um, so uh, what about intellectual property uh, trademarks? Where does that come into play, or? Sure. Uh, licensing, especially for musicians, has become one of the key ways to make a living. I mean, and, and, and frankly, that's something I'd like to help facilitate here. There's a lot of really good music going around the city. There's a lot of people that need it. You know, a lot of people, especially in the film world, are still looking towards some of the more traditional outlets. But you can really save a tremendous amount of money by going with artists here and obtaining, you know, uh, you know, non-exclusive worldwide rights. And that'll cost you a substantial amount of money should you go through you know, more traditional outlets. Right. And it looks like, um, obviously, most of your emphasis is on the entertainment law, music industry, like we didn't speak about. I looked at your website. It's also you uh, reference uh, startups. And um, so if you had to break down uh, what a day looks like for you, is most of your emphasis on entertainment. But, in, I mean, we're, we're in kind of a startup epicenter here, right? Uh, that's you, right. Um, and, and, and honestly, a lot of the same things that uh, face startups here are very similar to, uh, you know, what filmmakers and musicians face. And in the sense that, you know, a lot of them dream very big and kind of need, you know, some uh, a little bit of guidance when it comes down to getting down to the nuts and bolts of how to actually make those things happen. Um, so, so what's your biggest challenge on a day to day basis? What you say? <laughs> uh, getting clients to pay up front. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> right. That's um, everybody, I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, but no, but uh, seriously, um, I, I think uh, just getting people to understand what what you can bring to the table by by uh, planning. I mean, you know, what, what's the adage? Uh, failing to plan is planning to fail. Right. And I think that that comes with any, you know, uh, pursuit, business pursuit, uh, artistic pursuit or otherwise. Now, you mentioned um, uh, paying up front and whether it's a startup, the new tech, uh, the new app that's going to take over the world or whether it's an entertainment. Do you ever get approached where they'll uh, offer you in kind, you know, services or um uh, not just free concert tickets, but a um, uh, a um, <laughs> equity position or something. Or um, do you ever buy into that opportunity? Those opportunities, or I mean, it's always a possibility. I mean, I think one of the important things whenever you're dealing with startups is to maintain flexibility, and that's you know what my firm tries to do. I mean, we we that's offer inc incredibly flexible yeah. pricing. Whether that's you know I've got cases not necessarily there, but you know contractual disputes have taken on a contingency basis. I've got yeah. you know other clients that I take on an hourly basis. I mean, it really comes down to what the person is doing and what their project looks like and trying to cater to that as much as possible uh, is what kind, we try to do. It kind of reminds me of the Wilm, Wilm, uh, 
William Shatner's story, right, where he got approached by those two kids starting up Priceline. These two, you know, college kids had no money. And they said uh, they were big uh, Trekkie fans. He said, we'll give you a percentage of Priceline. And he became the spokesperson. And it was an unknown. And he made more money off that deal of Priceline than he did all his Star Trek money that he ever made. Wow. Like tenfold or maybe more. <laughs> that was a pretty solid deal. You didn't know that on that yeah, That's one. right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and the sharks turned down Uber. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's just uh, yeah. maybe we, we're running out of time here, but I'd be intrigued to find out if you have a come back next time with a story that um, somebody offered you a percentage, right? And, you um, wouldn't be back here. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course I would. Um, <laughs> you know, you never know. I mean, you never know where people are going. I mean, I think that, that that's a lot of what it's about is finding people that dream big and helping facilitate that. I mean, at the end yeah. of the day, it's putting projects together and helping them happen. Speaking so. of any people that you can mention that you've worked with in the past or maybe not. Oh, drop some names for us. Yeah. Well, you know, I think when it comes, especially to like business relationships, maintaining confidentiality sure. is really important. You know, as a musician, I've gotten to play with, you know, a lot of different people. Um, some of um, from some of your favorite bands in the in the city, some new artists coming out that you like. Well, Not that you work with, but just that you enjoy. You know, I, I think when it comes to, uh, I've, I've become a jam fan recently, and I'll, I'll give a shout out to Colonel Bruce Hampton, who's been real kind <laughs> to me over the years. Um, and a lot of people in that scene, I mean, there's there's a number of tremendous musicians um, that have come here and, and, and frankly have come out of here. Yeah. Uh, and so that that is something I've... Certainly caught on to a little bit lately, you know, um, yeah. and uh, I think I'll kind of continue that. I know that uh, 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 here comes Rusty and some other really good films, too. And that's where you're starting to see an intersection. A lot of these artists that are here, mm -hmm. um, like like Colonel Bruce is a good example. You know, he's he acted, of course, in Sling Blade, but he's also moved on to some other films that are they're going to be coming out here shortly. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, can you let our listeners know how they can reach you? Yeah, absolutely. You can reach me at uh, Marlon, M-A-R-L-O-N, at therhinelawfirm.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, you know, LinkedIn, any of those, those outlets. Or you can call me at 404-410-0037. Again, that was Marlon Ryan with the Ryan Law Firm on Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. We now have Ashley Wilcott. Good morning. Good morning, Emily. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. She is the director of the Office of the Child Advocate for the Protection of Children. Tell me a little bit about child welfare when you first started in law. Sure, Emily. Thank you for asking because when I first started, really child welfare was an afterthought. It was just not something that people um, were practicing in terms of law or really thought to practice. There weren't experts. There weren't people focused on it. And it's really become something now where we are trying to develop specialists. Um, there's a certification, and I'm one of those child welfare legal specialists through the NACC, the National Association of Counsel for Children. Um, there are not very many of us in the nation. But it's really a complex area of law. It involves litigation, federal laws, state laws, constitutional rights that parents have to raise their children um, without abusing and neglecting them, obviously, um, the practical implications. So it's a very complex area of law. Tell me, what does the general public need access to? Um, they really need access to education about the laws and the policies because one of my biggest frustrations is there is a lot of misunderstanding. There is a lot of lack of education about what the laws are, what the policies are, what it means to abuse or neglect a child, how it can be prevented, what parental rights are, what parents are allowed to do and not do when it comes to raising their children in the way that they seem fit and appropriate. Also, when it comes to juvenile 
juvenile justice and the juvenile justice system, you know, when we turn on the news, we see it every day. Um, kids who have uh, aggravated assault, murders, home invasions, all of those things. And if we could just raise the bar and educate the public to understand the systems, the laws, the policies, there'd be greater accountability mm -hmm. and there'd be greater personal responsibility, which we've got to see when it comes to all of the juvenile justice abuse and neglect of children. Yeah, and tell me, um, those stories now, they're not as unique anymore. They're not, like, rare. Unfortunately, they're not. I feel like every time I turn on the news, I used to think I did something that really was not talked about, was not advertised, was not in the media. And now I truly feel like I, I'm a legal analyst, so I do serve on shows and talk about them. And I thought, well, it's in that capacity that I'm so familiar with them. Unfortunately, you can watch the local news and see it at least once a week, if not two to three times a week, where... A child's been murdered, a child's been kidnapped, somebody's abused their child, locked in a closet, starved, um, burned, uh, burned in bathwater. There's so many specific examples. Again, juveniles, you know, you turn on the news, the juveniles' faces can't be shown because there was a home invasion and they were under 18 and they're involved in these horrific crimes, really. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's not unique. And they're not simple cases anymore. And what do I mean by that? So the Department of Family and Children's Services. Years ago, the issues faced were fairly simplistic. By that, I mean you might have a family who needed help paying utility bills so that they could actually provide heat for the children and water in their house. And the department could step in and help find ways to provide those services. Mm -hmm. Now you see issues where parents may have that issue, but they may also have substance abuse issues, and they may have issues where they need mental health assistance. And the substance abuse issues now, meth was the big popular awful drug, and now it's heroin. Heroin is mm -hmm. widespread. It is across the country. It's across all demographics, all age groups, all socioeconomics. And so it's a real epidemic. And as a result, we're seeing abuse and neglect of children at a whole different level. It can be your next door neighbor. It can be your someone at your children's school. It can be people that you actually know, that you're actually related to. And so... So it is. Um, it's just not unique anymore. Mm -hmm. It's it's across. It, it's a it's a scary epidemic, and unfortunately, we see it in a lot of different avenues now. Now, as the director, Office of the Child Advocate for the Protection of Children, what exactly is your role in helping this epidemic? Right. So two years ago, I, I've always been in private practice, practicing child welfare, and I expect to return to that. But two years ago, I was appointed by Governor Deal as the director of the office, and we do three main things. But one of them is is an oversight agency of any agencies that have been involved in the life of a child um, that's had defects history in the last five years. So while that primarily means the Department of Family and Children's Services, it can involve any agency that's involved with these children, whether it's the Department of Juvenile Justice, whether it's a private agency, a foster home. And as an oversight agency, the goal is to ensure that they are complying with law, policy and engaging in good practice. And the ultimate goal is number one, to any anybody can report a case uh, to my agency and we investigate the case to ensure those things are happening. And if they're not, work on that individual case to ensure that that particular child's being protected. But number two is to look at as a system, and I report directly to the governor to say what are the systemic issues we continue to see. And I do an annual report to say, look, these are the systemic issues that can 
continue to plague our system mm -hmm. and abused and neglected children and how what are the recommendations as to how we can improve our system what are the needs that we still see and still face I will say that this particular governor has been in tune with the needs of child welfare he has exercised exceedingly smart good leadership and paid good attention to the needs of child welfare in terms of not only budget support but also in terms of leadership changes that he's made decisions he's made he's really focused on it and so that's, that's fantastic mm -hmm. but that's not enough there are a lot of other sure. things that are needed and systemic issues have existed for 10 to 15 years as a result of extreme budget cuts 10 to 15 years ago oh and those things are going to take a lot of time to turn around and write the ship Thank you. That was Ashley Wilcott, Saving the Children. She is the Director of the Office of Child Advocate for the Protection of Children on Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. Ashley, let's find out a little bit more about you. How did you get started? Um, I went to Emory Law School, and I always knew that I wanted to be a litigator, and I always knew that I wanted to do something related to children. I expected to go into prosecuting the offenders and the people who are actually uh, abusing, neglecting children and murdering children and doing all those horrific things. But um, somehow, through a course of really great jobs and great opportunities with big firms, I, I learned what I didn't want to do and, and landed on exactly what I wanted to do and was meant for me. It's my passion. I love what I do. I love working in the field of child um, welfare, abuse and neglect. I've held a number of different positions. I've been really, really fortunate. I've served as a juvenile court judge. I've served as a guardian ad litem. I've represented the department uh, through the Attorney General's office. And I have honestly, I can tell you, I love everything about what I do. I bet. It sounds like you sleep well at night. Well, I, you know, I used to. I will tell People ask, what's the hardest thing about my current job? And I said, sure. number one, the commute. I don't live that far from downtown, but I've certainly learned the traffic going downtown is horrific. But number two is the number of child deaths in the state of Georgia. I never oh. recognized how high it was. And so that's something, again, educating the public about how can we prevent those and what do we need to do as a society to be, really be aware. But the last part of that is personal accountability. Um, I hear a lot about, oh, it's the department's fault or, oh, it's, you know, juvenile justice has failed this child. And, and systems have failed the child and the government's failed children. Well, ultimately, it's personal accountability and caretakers have failed children and everybody mm -hmm. makes their own choice. And if you're going to choose to do heroin instead of feeding your children for five days in a row, well, that's a personal choice. So we really need to look at personal accountability and people are responsible for their children. And if they, they aren't going to be responsible for their children, then they don't need to have their children. Exactly, exactly. You know, you talk about the heroin abusers and, you know, um, what about more of the, the people, and you even said they're moving out to the suburbs. What about the people, you know, like me, uh, a mom with a family, you know, that just wants their children to go to school, um, you know, and then I find out that my son takes a ride with one of the teachers home. And I mean, just those little things, you have to be so cautious, even though he knew the teacher, you just don't know. People. Right, right. You know, so those things, just the smaller things, um, are just as important. They are. They are. And I think as as parents, um, we all know and, and teach our children to be smart, make good choices, to 
you know, communicate with us as parents about where they are and, and what they're doing. And I think that I see the worst of the worst, so I have to be careful sometimes. I think generally, as a society, people are trustworthy mm-hmm. and are good and have good hearts. But as parents, you can never be too careful. As caretakers, yep. you always do have to be aware. You have to know who you send your children with. You have to know who they are, and 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 you just have to be vigilant and putting your children in safe situations. Yep. Yeah, and that was a ball dropped <laughs> communication on that day. But we made sure that never happened again. Sure. Um, so tell me a little bit about um, what is child welfare law, welfare law, excuse me, and who needs to know about it? Sure. Um, it encompasses a lot of things, but, but basically, so uh, in any state, and I'll talk specifically, obviously, about Georgia, you have um, the abuse and neglect of children. And, and I know one of the things that I think everybody needs to be aware of is anybody can make an allegation that it's happened. And so the frustrating thing is obviously false allegations can be made. So what happens next? The Department of um, Family and Children Services can get a complaint. And by law, they're mandated to investigate those complaints and determine what they need to do to investigate those. And so uh, someone could make a complaint about you, Emily, and your family, and the department could knock on your door. And so one of the things that I want people to be aware of is what the process is. What does that mean? What does it entail? Because as a parent, you have rights to raise your children, to protect your children. And just because someone knocks on your door to say, hey, you know, I'm going to do ABC to see what you've done to your children, it doesn't mean a government or a bureaucracy can come into your life and turn your life upside down and do everything they want to do to look at how you're raising your children. Mm-hmm. And so there's a real balance and there are a lot of constitutional rights and again, federal law, state laws and policies about what are your rights as a parent and what are your rights in terms of how you raise your children? How do you respond if that happens? Mm-hmm. The other half of it is what do you do if you suspect that something's happening to a child? What do you do if there's a 16-year-old down the street that you feel like, "Uh uh-oh, I really think they're getting in trouble. I think maybe they're the ones stealing all the car radios in the neighborhood when we have a rash of crime or whatever it is, because that can happen, you know, in the really nice neighborhoods in Buckhead. We hear sometimes how a number of cars are broken into and things are stolen. What do you do if you think that's the child down the street that's just getting into trouble or or going through a phase or whatever it might be? And so some of the things that I think we really need to, people need to be aware of is I can walk you through that system so that you're well protected and you understand you don't want to go in to whether it's the the juvenile justice side of a potential allegation of your child stolen a car radio or the abuse and neglect of an allegation of somebody's abusing their child or neglecting their child you don't want to go into that system blind you really need to be educated about what it entails because it is a slippery slope in a lot of regards and we find out all of that how um, I can uh, that's the problem how it's a very complex system and you mm-hmm. can find out bits and pieces from a lot of different people and there are a lot of attorneys that represent parents and attorneys that represent children and my agency does education of guardian ad litems the thing that I found is you can find out different pieces from different organizations and agencies and attorneys throughout Georgia but one of my goals is to give you the entire picture so that's what I offer and my expertise is I can walk you I've held every job and know the entire 
systems. So I can give you from A to Z nuts and bolts because that's what's missing in child welfare still. So that's something that I offer. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so tell me, what is, I know that obviously you face a lot of um, difficult situations every day. Um, tell me about, um, a little more about DFACS, the DF, the Department of Family and Children's Services. Right. I think, um, you know, one of the things I'm going to say is everybody is, general public, you know, doesn't have a good impression. And if you watch the media, there are terrible stories about something that may have happened. But I see good work by the department, and they have a very hard job, right? Mm -hmm. they, they have to walk in and walk into hard situations with parents with issues and try to help and offer for services and they remove children with court oversight. They can't take children away. A lot of people believe they steal children. They can't. The, the courts remove children, not the department. But they, um, they get a bad rap. Now, the cases in which they may not make it a bad rap, often it's miscommunication. It's poor communication. Mm -hmm. It's handling things in a way that forgets that there are humans and necessary emotions involved. And so instead of taking a step back and saying, these are people's children, it's emotional, no matter what, period, it's emotional. This is an emotional situation. Mm -hmm. We need to step back and respect all of those emotions and handle it in a way that we communicate the best way we can. The communications get lost and it quickly becomes hostile and volatile and, and in all of that, it can only exacerbate the situation and make it worse. So I think that's my biggest frustration when when it gets to the point of defects being involved with the family. Right. So tell me, you're a member of the First Lady's Children Cabinet. I am. I am. As um, OCA director, I'm a member of that. And the First Lady is very committed to children. This was an initiative of hers, and she does very exciting work. Uh, Read Across Georgia is one of her initiatives okay. to ensure that preschool children are exposed to um, reading and that focus on, is on teaching them to read, because that's obviously one of the most important first steps in education of children. Um, she has some other initiatives, um, Serving with a Servant's Heart, where she recognizes state employees um, who are nominated and are doing not only their job as a state employee, but volunteering outside of that capacity to serve um, citizens of Georgia. Um, and she's just a fantastic, fantastic lady. Thank you. And thank you so much for being on the show today. There's so much more we could talk about. We'll have to have you back for sure. Thank you, you do so wonderful much. work. If you could let our listeners know how, the, how they can reach you. Absolutely. But either by email, scottlaw at bellsouth.net. That's S-C-O-T-T -T law at bellsouth.net. You can also access my office at Office of the Child Advocate for the state of Georgia. And uh, Twitter, Ashley Wilcott at Wilcott Ashley. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. Ashley Wilcott on Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. And one last but not least guest. <laughs> you, you don't know that yet. <laughs> <laughs> we have Scott Shulton here with Shulton, Ward, and Turner. Again, I'm Emily Rowell with Atlanta Legal Experts Radio, your host. And Scott, Scott Shulton is works with uh, business owners. What is the most important step to take when you are going to sell your business? Initial steps to take. 
Well, the first um, step of any process is to determine where you want to end up. Um, I have a friend who says the journey of a thousand miles doesn't start with your first step. It starts with knowing where you want to go. Mm -hmm. So the first thing in selling a business is to decide what you want to do uh, next with your life and what uh, amount of capital you need to do that and where you want to be. But assuming you want to sell your business, um, the first thing you have to do is speak with an investment banker or with someone knowledgeable about the sale process. Now, why would somebody want to sell their business? How do they know they need to sell their business? It's a timing issue as much as anything else. If you are uh, tired of running a business, if you feel like you've done everything that you wanted to do, uh, or if the time seems right to uh, capitalize on an opportunity, then um, it's the time for you to consider selling. Now, um, how much should the seller expect to receive for a company they own? Millions sure, and millions of dollars. <laughs> yeah. It obviously depends upon uh, the business and the industry, but in general, uh, what a seller receives in a business transaction is a multiple of the actual earnings, um, adjusted earnings, so that if the seller's been paying uh, more benefits than one would and just to a, a person off the street, you put those benefits back into the equation and then you figure what your multiple is from there. And I would assume that a lot of, there's a lot of um, business owners out there that actually invest in businesses, start small businesses, get them to a point, and then sell the small business. So are those the types of clients that you represent? Generally speaking, yes. It's a, our, our firm has a cradle-to-grave approach, and, and every business has a life cycle. So, yes, we do startups, we handle ongoing opportunities, and then we uh, frequently assist in the sale. Thank you. That's Scott, Scott Shulton with Shulton, Ward & Turner on Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. So how did you get started, Scott? How did I get started? Um, well, let me see. Back in the dark days of the late 70s, <laughs> which you obviously don't remember, uh, school was a good place to be, and uh, law school was a natural opportunity. My uh, sister's an attorney, and my uh, father's worked with lawyers, so it was just something I grew up with and decided to go into. And you found the business side of it naturally, or...? Well, in litigation, uh, almost always someone is miserable. Uh, usually everyone is miserable. And uh, to devote your entire life to that sort of process is, uh, to me, was a, a soul-killing process. So I, I decided that if I'm in a transaction where people are making money and happy, uh, that that would be a much uh, easier life for me to proceed. And like anything else, the, the more dollar signs there are, the more zeros there are, the uh, the the easier it is to um, for the legal fees to be paid without causing heartache to everyone involved. So we do a lot of multifamily uh, sales, apartment complexes. We do commercial transactions, buying and selling of, uh, of buildings and businesses. Um, our sweet spot is probably in the 5 to $20 million range, a transaction of that size. Got it. Uh, you say we. Well, there are 20 lawyers at my firm, uh, wow. more or less, and a good number of support staff. And uh, so it's a team approach. There are some people that look at the tax side, some people look at the, the labor and employment side, other people look at the um, just the general business side. So yes, it's it, in general, it's a team. 
And you're downtown. We are. Uh, again, old school brick and mortar. Uh, uh, Marlon uh, was speaking of uh, the opportunities that one can have as a, as a virtual uh, entrepreneur. Uh, we are all brick and mortar all in. Uh, if, you, <laughs> if you head out of the uh, Hyatt Regency downtown, cross Peachtree Street at your peril, uh, where there is substantial filming going on today, by the way, <laughs> uh, and go to the top floor, that's our firm. Wonderful. Oh, I bet that's a great view. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so tell me, when selling a business, how does the process start? Well, it, um, it can start a number of different ways for a number of different people. Sometimes you've been working as a junior partner or as a minority shareholder and you want the rest of the business. Sometimes you uh, own it outright. Um, many times you'll be approached by another, by a competitor or by someone else in the industry saying, we like what you do, we think we can do a good job of it, and we'd like to, uh, um, like to take you out. As, <laughs> as some of my clients say, you know, 10, 10 to 20 million doesn't get you that far in the long run. But, uh, but it is a good start. Sure. Now, uh, what are the main differences between a stock sale and an asset sale? Well, that's one of the uh, threshold questions, one of the gating questions that every uh, seller has to think about and every buyer has to think about. Uh, with, a, with a stock or a membership sale, you are acquiring all the liabilities and assets of the entity. So there may be liabilities you're not aware of, uh, employment liabilities, tax liabilities. With an asset sale, you're buying everything that the business owns and then the question becomes, how do you identify that and how are you sure that you have all the assets without um, missing a piece of the puzzle? And some of the tax issues that are involved? In general, when selling a business, you are in the uh, long-term capital gains uh, range and so your tax will be lower than it would be if you were uh, working for a living and, and uh, uh, paying ordinary income rates. However, within the structure of a business trans business sale transaction, some aspects will be ordinary income, some aspects will be uh, long-term capital gains. And so allocating your sale price among those assets is one of the first things that uh, a good tax attorney will help you do. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, just want to remind our listeners, you're listening to Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. Uh, Rich Castle over here. So um, is the rule of sum still, was it three or five times value of their, uh, of their revenue or... It, it really depends on the industry that you're in. If you are in, uh, if you're a startup and, and it's and you have an app that people want, yeah. uh, the multiple could be twenty, thirty, or in some cases you have negative income and you're still going to sell for crazy, a, a right? great amount of money. <laughs> um, but in ordinary businesses, yes, there's a multiple involved, and usually it's between three to five times of your of your net earnings. Okay, and I was looking at your website. It's a little unrelated, but it caught my attention. This uh, eight-minute uh, jury verdict is—is <laughs> <laughs> is that legit? I mean, it's—it's it's crazy. A three-day trial, and it only took the jury eight minutes to it come is, to a verdict. It, juries are um, un completely unpredictable. Uh, they're comprised of human beings, and if anyone can can predict what a human's going to do, let me know. Um, but yes, in that case, it was—it um, was a contested. Uh, multi-million dollar transaction and the jury saw through uh, the defense and decided uh, um, this is what this is what we need to do it didn't take them long to do it I mean you never see that on TV even a 30-minute episode right <laughs> it's like uh, so it's a three-day trial 1.7 million and only took him eight minutes 
Uh, that's a whole other show, I think, right there. Yeah, it, it may be a record, and that's my litigation partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, that's not uh, your space. As, yeah. I, as I say, I, I uh, found that process too numbing to, to continue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think I, I'd agree with you on that. Um, so, what are some uh, you know do's and don'ts in the sales process of a business? Um, what do you kind of steer people away from or encourage them to? Well, the to, the the main. Uh, encouragement that I give is to is to give the process the time that it needs um, people want it everything this is a society where everything happens immediately right. but in the if you're buying a business it's important to do your due diligence and that's going to take a couple of months uh, it's going to take a, um, a team of people uh, an accountant on the on the seller or the buyer side is very important in the process um, and you just have to look turn over every rock and see what's underneath before you before you put your cash down and um, do you experience sometimes in the buyer that they get kind of too emotional attached to the concept of owning that business? And even when the numbers don't seem to add up, sometimes they still want to kind of pursue it? Or and do you act as kind of coach and try to um, discourage them at times? Well, frequently we do. And there is such a thing as a, as a deal momentum. People yeah, get yeah, into yeah. it. They want to finish it. Right. Uh, they, they've started it. And the important concept there is sunk costs. If you've spent a lot of time looking at something, that time is gone. Regardless, yeah. if you spend a lot of money, the money's gone. The question is, what's the right decision to make now? Yeah, because that's in buying a house or other things, we get vested in that. And it's just like um, you don't really anticipate or think about exit, right? That's right. At yeah. every stage in the process, you need to be thinking, does this still make sense for me? Start with the end in mind. Start with the end in mind, but be willing to have to change plans mm -hmm. if you need to. Yeah, and particularly, if you're going to hire an advisor, listen to your advisor. Otherwise, you're wasting your money. So if, <laughs> if your CPA says this is not a good idea, if your lawyer says I don't recommend this, then you should listen to that. So final question on this end here, what about um, cost involved? How do you, is it a flat or a percentage or is that a fair question? How, what would I can't say it's an unfair here? question because you're the producer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I can turn this off real quick, yeah. <laughs> but it's, um, it's, each transaction is unique. Uh, in general, it's a, it's a flat price. Okay. And in general, on a, a 10 to $20 million transaction, the legal fees on either side will be in excess of $100,000. Well, that's pretty fair, I guess. If they're, you know, they're going to invest in that business long term and see the return, the revenue on that, yeah. Any last tips for somebody thinking about either buying or selling a business? I would just stress that this is probably the most important financial transaction you'll ever participate in, and so you want to get all of the information that you can and the best advice that you can get. That's not the time to try to save a few pennies. Now, do you ever dive into a little bit of estate planning with your clients, just being that doesn't that have a lot to do with? Or do you have somebody you refer to for that? The important thing about being a lawyer is knowing what you don't do well. And no, I don't, I don't, I don't delve into that uh, on a light basis. I do have a network of people and a network of law firms that I work with. Fantastic. Yeah. So tell everybody how they can reach you. Let's see. The website is probably the best and most reliable source, and that's swtlaw.com. And as of later this week, it will be swtwlaw.com. We are uh, changing our name to Shulton Ward, Turner, and Weiss, uh, effective April 1. And uh, uh, Eric Weiss is a, is a great partner, and it's time for, the, for us to, to recognize that. So uh, swtwlaw.com.
Thank you so much. And go ahead. Well, yeah, congratulations to the extra W and your joining the team. That's what we well deserved, huh? That's what we call him now. That's for Mr. Weiss, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Absolutely. Yes, thank you, Scott Schulten uh, with Schulten, Ward, Turner, and Weiss. Thank you, Emily. Yes, and um, again, you can also go to AtlantaLegalExpertsRadio.com. I'm sorry, AtlantaLegalExperts.com. Either one, Got yeah. excited, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is Emily Rowell, your host, signing out. Thank you again for joining Emily Rowell and her guests on the Pro Business Channel. Use the social media links here to share today's show and stay tuned for the next episode of Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. 